All right. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Um, so what I'd like to do to start is um, just reread a few paragraphs um, from the in-between state um, as a way to prime our sitting. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just um, the paragraphs which contain some of the lines that I want to kind of revisit a bit. Um, and uh, so, um, so just you know, get comfortable. We're gonna sit uh, right after I I read these lines. Um, the practice night will be very um, basic, sort of breath following. Um, but as I read, think if there's a line that really resonates with you that you might um, bring into your sitting with you. Um, not, not, not to think about, but um, to kind of attune yourself to something that may be alive or may feel like a problem in your sitting practice. Something that um, feels really raw, something that you feel like you're getting hung up on, something that you think would be interesting to um, sort of really like tune into um, as you're sitting today. Um, and we'll see what comes up um, in the discussion and perhaps in the conversation that I hope we have a little time for. So um, so for those of you who haven't weren't here last week and haven't had a, a chance to look at this, I'm just going to read it just a few excerpts from a piece by Pema Chodron. Uh, on something that she calls the in-between state. And um, this is not the whole thing, but and there are just a few different phrases and lines that I want to think about tonight um, that really resonate with me. Um, so the in-between state. I'll start at the beginning, but then I'll skip. It takes some training to equate complete letting go with comfort, but in fact, nothing to hold on to is the root of happiness. There's a sense of freedom when we accept that we're not in control. Pointing ourselves toward what we would most like to avoid makes our barriers and shields permeable. This may lead to a don't know what to do kind of feeling, a sense of being caught in between. And that phrase don't know what to do kind of feeling was one of the phrases that really stood out to me. Um, I'll skip a bit. Anxiety, heartbreak, and tenderness mark the in-between state. It's the kind of place we usually want to avoid. The challenge is to stay in the middle rather than buy into struggle and complaint. The challenge is to let it soften us 
rather than make us more rigid and afraid. Becoming intimate with the queasy feeling of being in the middle of nowhere only makes our hearts more tender. When we are brave enough to stay in the middle, compassion arises spontaneously. By not knowing, not hoping to know, and not acting like we know what's happening, we begin to access our inner strength. And then i um, just going to skip to one other section where she talks about um, the paradox of being of the in-between state. Dwelling in the in-between state requires learning to contain the paradox of something's being both right and wrong, of someone's being strong and loving, and also angry, uptight, and stingy. In that painful moment when we don't live up to our own standards, do we condemn ourselves or truly appreciate the paradox of being human? Can we forgive ourselves and stay in touch with our good and tender heart? When someone pushes our buttons, do we set out to make the person wrong? Or do we repress our reaction with, I'm supposed to be loving. How could I hold this negative thought? Our practice is to stay with the uneasiness and not solidify into a view. Holding the paradox is not something any of us will suddenly be able to do. That's why we're encouraged to spend our whole lives training with uncertainty, ambiguity, insecurity. To stay in the middle prepares us to meet the unknown without fear, prepares us to face both our life and our death. The in-between state, where moment by moment the warrior finds himself learning to let go, is the perfect training ground. It doesn't really matter if we feel depressed about that or inspired. There is absolutely no way to do this just right. That's another phrase that stood out to me. That's why compassion and loving kindness, along with courage, are vital. They give us the resources to be genuine about where we are, but at the same time to know that we are always in transition. The only time is now, and the future is completely unpredictable and open. So as we sit, if there's a line, a phrase, a thought in those words that you feel might be alive for you, hold it close to your heart and see if it um, resonates, rings, aloud as you sit, but don't push it. No need to, just if it happens organically.
this idea of like, when do we want to feel like we're always doing it right? In what ways do we want to feel like we know what this process is about, what it's supposed to look like? And when we feel like we just don't even know what the hell we're doing when we sit. That's a really interesting possibility. One that I'm very, very familiar with. I'd love to hear later how many of you have felt this way. Because in so many ways, right, sitting is not that complicated. So what does it mean that sometimes we don't know what to do? What does it mean to not know how to return to the breath? How to note that we're thinking? How to feel sensations? I'm very familiar with the feeling of not knowing how the hell to do those things, but so easy to say what the directions are. So what does that mean? So anyway, so these are some of the things that are on my mind as we begin tonight. And let's see what comes alive for all of us. Um, okay, so please get in a comfortable position. I mean, just take a few deep breaths in through the nose out through the slightly open mouth to settle into this sitting, into this evening, into this moment. Letting your out breath be nice and slow. Letting your in breath be nice and full. Now let's go really, really basic tonight. Let's just follow the breath. And please pick the spot that feels right for you tonight. So feel the breath in the inside of the nose or in the center of your chest or in your belly. Or you could follow the breath just as it fills your body, all three areas at once, if you like. And then when thoughts interrupt, pull you away, just notice that you've been thinking. Maybe take note of the kind of thought that's pulled you away, or the kind of sensation, or the kind of perception, whatever it may be that's pulled you away from the breath, and just come back to the breath in a soft, gentle way. And let's just do that for about 20 minutes, and then we'll talk for a bit.
as you deepen into this sitting, your awareness becomes more fine-grained. See if you can notice thoughts that express expectations about how your meditation is supposed to look, feel. Do you have a sense of how you think this is supposed to go? Is it going the way it's supposed to? Is it not? Do you also experience moments where you can trust the process and let go of control of the practice? How does that feel? notice any thoughts that are like these, just sort of pay attention, special attention to them for the rest of the period. But don't go hunting for them. Don't go digging for them. Just if they appear, just take note.
Okay, take a minute to transition from sitting to conversation. Feel free to move around. So I feel like one of the things that um, Pema Chodron's um, piece implies, even though it's actually kind of um, encouraging us not to think in this way. But for me, I think it, 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 it makes me think that it's worth talking about is this idea of where the path is going. I mean, the whole idea of the in-between, the idea of the in-between is in-between here and somewhere else or one place and another. Um, and I think, you know, those of you who, who've been in this group for a while know that, you know, I've, I've like, like most people who teach meditation, have always emphasized the way in which um, this isn't a goal-oriented practice. We're not trying to get somewhere. There's nothing to do, nothing to get, nowhere to go. Um, and yet clearly there is in a certain way. And, and it's part of the paradox of how to talk about practice, how to understand what practice is. Um, we are clearly drawn to practice because we're looking for some kind of transformation. Um, we want something to change. Something about the way that we've lived has not felt um, okay, like enough. Um, and we can, there are a lot of different words that people have but there's suffering of some kind or other. And we want some kind of freedom, even if it's just partial from that suffering. And yet when we get here to a group like this or to a books of a practice, right, we're told repeatedly um, that it's not about getting anywhere. It's not about changing anything. It's not about doing anything. And that's all true. Um, but it's also true that things change. And I think Pema Chodron's reading it and thinking about what I want to say about it made me realize that this was a moment where I think it was important to talk about um, the arc of the path a little bit more explicitly. Um, When, when people say that there's nowhere to get, nothing to do, it's because that is the attitude one needs to cultivate in order to um, get somewhere. This is the, this is the, um, this is the interesting thing. Um, 
And um, I read somewhere this, this Shunryu Suzuki Roshi would tell his students, you're all perfect, but you could use some improvement. <laughs> um, so it, that's, that's, that's the paradox, right? There is already perfection. There's nowhere to get, nothing to accomplish. We just need to see how it's all already okay. And yet, if we saw that, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, or at least, you know, it, we, we wouldn't be drawn to the practice in the first place. Um, so how do you make, how do you reconcile that, right? Um, so the way that, that you know, she, that she describes it in this piece is uh, using her language, right? We are told about the pain of chasing after pleasure and the futility of running from pain. We hear also about the joy of awakening, of realizing our interconnectedness, of trusting the openness of our hearts and minds. But we aren't told all that much about the state of being in between, no longer able to get our old comfort from the outside, but not yet dwelling in a continual sense of equanimity and warmth. So this is her way of describing the, the change that happens to someone after long practice. And it's a real change. And while I think it's actually right, and there's a reason that tradition focuses on emphasizing uh, non-goal-oriented uh, approach to practice, I actually think there's also something that might be um, problematic about making it seem like nothing ever changes. Um, because, you know, things do change quite radically um, over time. Um, and I think one of the pleasures of being in this group is like, you know, actually I was, Carrie, I was thinking about what you said last week, the way you described um, some of the equanimity that you were feeling. And it struck me that, now I'm not sure you would say this about yourself, but that this is not how you sounded like two years ago when you started practicing. And there's been, there's a vivid change even in the people in this group. Um, over time, over relatively short periods of time. And I think two years is not a very long period of time when it comes to practice, but the change can be really pronounced um, and visible from the outside. Um, so I think there are lots, it's not, it's not, just that there are big changes, so there are. There can be big experiences, there can be big transformations. Um, but I think what's interesting is even the small ones, you know? And, um, and I think that I, one of the reasons I love this phrase, I don't know what to do kind of feeling is because it, for me, really beautifully, captures a very common experience that happens when you're kind of fluctuating between levels of sitting. And so this is, um, this is, I think, a one way into this issue, like what changes, you know, how do you understand what changes? So um, Audrey last time um, talked about the difference between knowing something about practice in your head and knowing it in your body. You know, I think this, I think that is a really good way of explaining why sometimes 
when you have been sitting for a while, you know perfectly well all the instructions. You, you don't need big intro to meditation instruction anymore. You know what to do. And yet you can find yourself having no clue how to sit anymore. Like you are literally on the cushion having no idea what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and so like, I think a real classic moment when this happens is when you go from following, let's say just to take one like sort of local example, like following the breath, you know, so when you start out, it's like you focus your mental attention on the breath. And it's like the mind tracking the breath and it wanders off. But then the, you, you realize that and the mind reins itself back in and directs this attention back to the breath. It's like this cognitive effort. And sometimes it can feel quite effortful, but always at the beginning feels like at least you know what you're supposed to be doing. You know, it feels like it's hard as hell. Like the mind is always pulling you this way and that. Um, but it's not super confusing what to do. It just seems hard to do, you know, um, and very easy to forget to do it, all of that. Um, but then if you stick with it long enough, you have these moments where you just, you're able to be with the breath in this sort of, not cognitive way, but more embodied way. You just you just feel the breath very vividly. Um, and it's like a different way of hanging out with the breath that um, doesn't actually require us like this kind of like focusing, doesn't require you to keep like yoking that mind to the breath, right? And it's like, wow, you know, that's, that's amazing. Um, and, and then it fades. And then you're like, wait, how do we get that back? Um, and, um, and then you kind of realize that actually it wasn't really through some effort of your own. It's something happened. You tried, you tried, and then you tried hard. And then something, you just like slipped to another level. And then the breath was just more accessible, like, like easier to, to be with, to stay with. Um, and when you try then to use your effort to, to reachieve that state, you realize actually that effort itself is taking you farther away from the breath. Something about what seemed to have gotten you there now seems like it's pulling you away because effort wasn't what allowed you to stay with the breath. You had found something that like you had like let go of some effortfulness and you were able to just reside with the breath in a new way. Um, and that is an incredibly frustrating moment where you feel like, what, what am I supposed to do? Because like what I, what I thought of as following the breath now feels like it's actually like, like keeping me distant from it, you know, because it's like cognitive effort. And I realize actually that being with the breath isn't cognitive in this way. It's not a mental activity. And there are many, many shades of this kind of experience where you go, you access the breath or anything that you're, I'm just using the breath as an example, but you access something like the breath in these different ways that are like to use Audrey's language, like the body, getting the feel for what it is to be with the breath. And it, it's progressively like less about the mind doing it and just the breath becoming more just, um, just what you're with. Um, and then where you start to really, you know, there's these moments where you're not even like following the breath, there's just nothing but the breath. 
And even any attempt to follow the breath pulls you away from it. It actually creates a diff distance, a separation from the breath because there is nothing to do. You don't have to follow the breath. There is that. There is nothing but the breath. Um, and then when you when you're in those kind of you you it's there's no effort. There's not even really a sense of someone meditating. Not no, no one following the breath. There is just the breath, like like Shunryu Suzuki described it. Just just the door of the breath swinging open and close as you breathe in and out. There's just that. And um, there's this, you know, when I think of the, I, I've quoted these lines from um, Seng San's uh, Faith in Mind or Relying on Mind, uh, sixth century Zen text uh, often. And it, I think these lines mean a lot of different things, but it's like the way is not, difficult oh it's not it's not difficult but it's also not easy you know um it to me that's that describes exactly this feeling how do you how do you because you if you try at all to stay in this state you've already lost it you know um if you if you try assert yourself as someone doing the practice at that moment then you've already lost it you're farther away it pulls you away um and of course we're pulled away. It, no matter whatever we do, it, we don't stay there. You know, then it comes like it comes in waves. It goes because it was not something in a way that you made happen. You know, I've, I'll also quote this line. Um, you know, enlightenment is an accident. Meditation just makes you more accident prone. Um, I've heard that's apocryphal. That's a tribute to Suzuki Roshi, but I'm not. No one's actually sure if he actually said that. They, they think it sounds too clever for him. You know, like he wouldn't be that like obviously clever. You know, he's just more down to earth. But in any case, I think it's a great line. But I think that um, I don't think we need to still. I don't think we need to think of enlightenment as just being like that. I think like even all these different little sort of phases are like that. Even this phase of following the breath in this way that I'm describing, it just happens. It's like an experience of grace. Um, and like any experience of grace, any gift, it can disappear just as it appeared through no effort of your own. Um, and then you're left wondering, what can I do to keep this? What can I do to make it come back? What can I do to make this happen again? And that's where you really vividly have this feeling of, I have no idea what to do, you know. Um, practice seems so simple. It was just to follow the breath. And then I actually start to feel what it's like to do that. And now I have no idea how to make it happen again, because everything I try to do actually makes it more complicated. You know, it's like, it's this kind of, it's like this trying, this will, this effort that in, interferes with actually the, the just being that I got a taste of, you know. Um, so that happens with all sorts of things. You know, the breath is just one example. It could be experience of just walking. It could be the experience of just being present with someone you're talking to. You know, it could be the experience of just chopping vegetables. It could be the experience of just looking at the tree and then you're blown away by the beauty of the tree. And then 
you suddenly realize I'm blown away by the beauty of the tree. And then the beauty is already has that like a screen that's over it. Right. Cause now you're like self-conscious about like this cool experience you're having. Um, so in all these different realms of being, we experience these, like these, this, this deepening, that's like a gift, this experience of grace. And then that, that kind of whatever the right language is. We know that in a way nothing has changed, but just by kind of like the self-consciousness, the effort that now suddenly seems necessary that we can't help but bring to the situation, the desire to control or fix the experience, all these different things pull us away, right? And we are left not knowing what to do because even like not trying, you know, it's okay, well, maybe the thing is to not try. And then you realize that's just another thing I'm trying, right? <laughs> there is no way out. And I think that's, what Pema Chodron is talking about, where you realize to try and to not try to do this and do that, there's no way out. You know, you've practiced enough. You're not the beginning stage anymore, right? Where it's just like, okay, follow the breath, label thoughts, right? You're not there. You've gotten a taste of something, but it's flickering as it is. It has to be, right? And then you're like, oh my God. And then it's this excruciating feeling like, I don't know what to do. Cause even when I try not to do something, that's not right, you know? Um, and I don't think Pema Chodron is giving us an answer to that question. Cause there is no answer to the question. I wanna make clear, I'm not giving, there's no key to figuring this out. The key, as she says, is how do you let this soften us, right? Rather than making us more rigid, afraid, controlling, right? Um, how do you reside in this experience of not knowing, not hoping to know and not acting like we know what's happening or what we're supposed to do, right? So it's really the softening experience that happens in part because of the frustration we feel because part of what we're getting in touch with is the insanity of the mind right, that won't let go of its constant need to do something, you know? that it can't even understand not doing except as another activity, you know? Um, and there's no shortcut. You know, there is no shortcut. There's also no set timeline. It's not like someone says, okay, just endure this for five years and then you'll be a Jedi master, you know? Um, it's just, this is just that kind of whatever bardo purgatory state of being in between and, and seeing, just feeling the, the, the disorientation, the lostness, the frustration, and doing our best to stay open so that it can soften us. But of course, we're going to crave and grab and try to manage and try to control because that's also part of what we have to see. That's part of the experience of this state, you know. Um, I think having some compassion for our own insanity is key, right? And I love this phrase of hers also, this is the, the fourth line that I picked out. There is absolutely no way to do this just right. I think, I think I've already explained that line. <laughs> you know, even that there is just no way to do this right. Because ultimately it's not about us, about us doing anything. This is the irony, like you need a certain kind of discipline to stay with it. Like somehow like, you know, meditation makes you more accident prone. So you're probably gonna get fewer experiences of grace 
of the kind of grace I'm talking about if you don't practice diligently. Though, again, I think let's all be you know, humble. Like you don't, there are people who don't meditate at all who have like mind blowing access to this kind of grace, right? So it's like, you know, it's, there's not, we're not in a meritocracy. <laughs> you know, like if you work hard, you get more cookies, right? Like the universe doesn't work that way. It's not fair, okay? It's like, um, so let's get over that, okay? Um, we don't earn anything. It's beyond earning, beyond deserving. Um, and there is no way that we can do this just right because we're going to try when we know that trying is you know, pointless. We're going to not try in ways that we know are stupid and just like, we're going to start like getting frustrations over our hands for a while and say, screw this. I don't, I'm not, this is not fun anymore. Like it was like sort of relaxing in the first like couple of years, but now it's like, just like pissing me off. Like I, I wanted more, you know, um, I actually think though that the flip side is also true. So Parma Chodron says, there's absolutely no way to do this just right. I think I'd like to add to this a line that she doesn't, I think she would agree with this. There's absolutely no way to, there's absolutely no way to do this completely wrong either, you know? Um, because like, it is messy. It is nonlinear. Though that's such a dry word for what I'm talking about, right? Because really what we're talking about is like, oh God, <laughs> just squirming in our skin, like wanting it to be like, make sense and to be, you know. Um, so nonlinear is like a very toned down way of describing that. <laughs> but, um, but it's true. Um, and I think, you know, Yeah, yeah, I think this, you know, there's this, there's this, you know, I remember once having this, this ex experience and it was like, I think the biggest gift from that experience was realizing actually like it was going to fade and yet there was no, nothing I could do that would screw it up because it's just the truth about us. It's always there, you know? Um, so like whether or not we always see it is actually not the central point. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just there. We're okay. And we, it's nice to sense that once in a while, you know? Um, it puts other things in perspective, but at the same time, it doesn't somehow mean it's not okay when we don't see it, you know? Um, and you also realize that all the kind of detours, things, moments when you thought you were just checking out, you know, moments when you threw up your hands and say, screw this, they were all part of the journey. They all are, you know? Um, so anyway, this kind of, um, I think that so um, uh, the way that Audrey, you put it, I thought was so helpful. This like knowing it in your head and knowing your body. I feel like, you know, it's like that is really like at different levels. We are, we are becoming, getting more the feel for it. You know, those of you who played instruments know what it's like to know how to play something with your head, but you're not yet with your body. And then sometimes you just get it and you have this performance that feels like, oh my God. And then you can't every time it feels like your fingers are so clumsy. You play it again, right? It's just, you can't recapture that flow. I think people who play sports, people who do all sorts of things experience this, right? Also, sometimes you're in the flow. You're just there with someone else. 
And then other times it can't help but feel like you have to try to be there. And you know that even just by that trying, you're still doing your best, but it's not the same as when you're just there, you know? And I think that's where we need to have compassion. Like it's not, not gonna be some consistent state. It's this in-between. I love at the end, she says, actually, if you just stay in the in-between state, that itself is enlightenment. And if you can become at home in this state of feeling lost, feeling like you don't have control, feeling like you can't do things right, that actually is where we're trying to go. And I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it. It's not getting to a place where like, oh, now I figured it out. Now I'm, I'm okay forever. That's the dream. That's a fantasy. As if like somehow on the other side, there'd be complete security, complete comfort, complete control, you know? This is all about letting go of those fantasies. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, I wouldn't have had these thoughts if you hadn't all said what you said last week. So thank you. And I wouldn't have picked this piece if I didn't think it had so many levels worth hanging out with. So thank you for bearing with another week of this. Um, and um, I'm going to open the floor for a few minutes, but just, um, I just, yeah. Just, uh, I hope it's okay. And um, we'll do something different next week, but she's good. I want to stay with her for a little bit longer. Sylvia, please. Um, I love how, um, when you talked about it, what uh, it, the way you went into all the different little nooks and crannies. I mean, there's so much in that. Um, what I love is that I'm finding more and more, and it doesn't always happen, but it certainly did tonight, that um, I'm enjoying the, the process. Um, so much, many times I'll be in the breath and then all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm planning my trip somewhere. I'm, I'm planning. And then I'll go back and say, oh, how did I get there? And, um, and then I go back to breathing. but. The frustration is for me, I'm not feeling a frustration anymore. And I'm realizing, oh, okay, I'll just go back to, and then I go down into this, that, that soft belly really have, has helped me. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way that I find the go-to, the feeling of the weight going down. And then, and then everything kind of just goes into the breath. But I'm actually finding that I'm not um, self-critical but this is not true all the time, but tonight was, and I think it's a lot because of what you're saying here, um, that it is the in-between state. I mean, this, the whole, every step of what we do, I think is part of what we're doing. And it's the, it's the now, there's only the now. And in a way that's, it like forgives everything and everything then is possible. So I, I that's my, this is my piece with it. Mm. Mm. Thanks, Sylvia. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the frustration, right? Yeah. It's, I, I, and it's, yeah. of course, it's there. And then sometimes like more and more, it's not there. And it's interesting, right? Things that you would just like, oh my God, that was such a shitty sitting. I was so like, I wasted my time. And like, other, like sometimes like you're, no, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sylvia uh, expressed my experience very well. And, and I, I love the way you, you described those those passing states, but I think recently I I haven't uh, found myself saying what do I do now I I just sort of accept that the moment is gone, 
and I go back in you know, very mechanically to the to the to the breath. And I, I guess I've I've increasingly come to accept that you know those those periods come and go, and <laughs> you just go back and breathe and wait and see what happens. I think that's that's great, John. Actually, and um, um, I I think I've said this like a while back in a class, but you know Ezra actually told me once. It's actually, you know, I, I, cause I said like, when you get into those states, do you just like give up the method? Do you just, do you just be for a while, you know? And he actually said, no, he, he thinks it's good to stay with the method. I'm not, I'm not saying this. I just, just putting it this, I'm saying, he said, no, it's good to stay with the method because at some point the state will pass and the method will hold you, you know? Um, and so otherwise it, there's a risk of just becoming spacey and like, you know, kind of like, um, so, but the, I think having a method to go back to just yeah and know that anything will pass and that you can always just come back to the breath and even if it feels mechanical that's fine yeah i think the frustration i was describing was maybe like the first time or the first few times you start to experience it and you want to hold on to it somehow and you're trying to figure that out but yeah i think now i'm where you're at was like oh yeah it passed and I'll, I'll just i'll just go back to you know whatever i'm doing yeah Kama Chodron's been very important um, as an oncologist. I used to keep several copies of all her books in my office and patients would receive them if it felt right. And I would read them if it felt right. But I think the thing that spoke to me about the, the readings you quoted was um, the paradox of it all. And what we're hearing tonight from others is the paradox within one's own meditation moment to moment, but also as a human being, trying not to try. <laughs> and um, yeah, having it be very messy. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. Smitha, was there a favorite book of hers that you would keep on the bedside table? So, um, well, right now there's the wisdom of no, no escape right mm -hmm. over there. Mm -hmm. um, but she has a small book, um, Loving Kindness, that's mm -hmm. a, that fit in my lap coat. Mm -hmm. It's a little red book and it has all her slogans. Mm -hmm. Don't ponder others, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that's right. And slogans sometimes are good in crisis moments for people or, or regular day-to-day yeah. -day life. Yeah, it's great, thank you. I wanted to say that um, I wanted to walk back everything I said last time. Uh, the week was a terribly challenging week. And um, uh, yeah, being in that in-between state is not all it's cracked up to be or how I cracked it up last time. I just want you to know. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll mail you your refund check. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, whoops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I still believe what I said, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't know. I'm somewhere else right now. <laughs> and then just so like at this, like Smith actually, I think anticipated, right? It's that paradox, right? You, you were there, you're here now. They're all, it's all, it's all, I wouldn't, I'm not gonna say cool because the office doesn't feel cool. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, but in a cosmic sense, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Carrie, I just want to say quickly, I've totally had the same experience where I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. And then like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, this is terrible. And <laughs> whenever I get stuck in the thing. Also, I don't want to, I actually don't want to interpret how, wh why this, this pattern happened for carry you in the way it did, because like, there's lots of reasons why life just feels hard right now. But actually in my experience, often when I've experienced a deep kind of like openness, I've actually often had something that feels like a recoil into a real tightness. It's almost like, it's almost like, because, you know, the openness is, is a vulnerable, groundless place to be. And I think there's often a kind of flinching from it, a kind of turning away, um, so that, so anyway, I, I, I often like have said to myself, okay, this is a really like a deep place. Don't be surprised if tomorrow you feel like shit, you know, a really afraid, tight, something like that. Yeah. So. And, and I think I want to contextualize my own little personal hell just by saying that it was related to actually going out into the world after being so fully quarantined for so long. And um, the old mind patterns about I'm not good enough. Wow, reared their ugly heads again, you know? So um, yeah, I'm working on that. But I do feel like there's a, a new path, a new way forward for radical compassion towards myself now that I, I thank you, Bernie. I think this practice really helps that. I'm glad it helps me, for sure. Okay, 8.35. Um, and I, I have a feeling next week, we'll just have a chance to pick some of the stuff up, you know, and it's the same old, same old, always new, always old. So um, wonderful to see you guys. Um, really, this is an amazing group. And I hope you have a wonderful week and um, maybe could we sit for just half a minute together and end the evening with a little quiet? Yeah, just just even half a minute. Yeah, I like just a few breaths. I think I like this final sitting because it's a moment when I can really pause and feel my gratitude for this group. You know, it's just a really, yeah, it's wonderful just to really feel it. Um, okay, take care everyone.